Welcome to episode seven of Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. Today I talk with actor, artist, writer, and creative dynamo, David Diane Fisher. Americans know him from NCIS, 24, and National Treasure, as well as a slew of other roles in television and film, both here and in his native Britain. He's played his share of bad guys, that's for sure, but the man with the fierce face is a delightful, thoughtful, wonderful human being. Our wide-ranging romp of a talk begins in North London as a child of divorce. His career as an actor, finding his calling as an author and painter, embarking on the spiritual path, learning the nature of love, understanding personal struggle, and finding freedom. Here's me and David. Hello there, David. Diane Fisher, my friend. Thank you for doing this. Hey, my pleasure. Hello to you too. It's really good to see you. Well, so, so as you know, uh, this is a show about uh, finding one's path. And I wanted to kind of cast us mm. back, cast us back. And um, I know that you grew up in North London. And tell me a little bit about that, those formative years. How formative are we going back? <laughs> Whatever, anything that inspired you, perhaps, or? Uh, well, I was raised in North London, and all I remember was being raised into the absolute fraughtness of a, my parents' divorce at three, which continued for most of my young life. And uh, through that awful unconscious divorce and the way they were, uh, which formed me, um, I became uh an angry rebellious child um which is great i had a great time being angry and rebellious and taking drugs and getting expelled from here there and everywhere and i think believe that it you know led me to not wanting to be like them or do what they did um wanted to seek out something which was very different to the conditionings and the heritage of everyone around me and family and, and just, you know, my peers and society. And, and I, you know, led me to the acting. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for some reason, which is most already due to the angst of everything that I was raised in, I got stuck, as they say, cast and typecast into bad guys. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, it was a very cathartic ride for 20 years being evil and being angry and killing people and dying and literally uh, only one job in 20 years was playing something was a victim everything else was a villain you um, have died a lot yeah i died a lot yeah definitely um i killed a lot more but it, it, it was it was a it was a it was a good journey and uh a wonderful journey and then from that journey I became you know became uh, uh, got into writing and painting and basically I remember when I was younger my mother said what do you want to do when you're older and you know, I said I want to play she's like we can't you know you've got to, you've got to get a job life's serious and you I know and I, and I saw them they were always stressed adults were always stressed but I don't want to be like that you know and I said no I'm going to play she said well, you can't she said, I bloody can 
you know, and at 28, and I worked and worked until I was 28 from 17, and then I found acting, and that was it. At 28, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I was so passionate about it that I had no doubt that I would make a career out of it. So you didn't have the impetus to become an actor when you were a child. It was later on in your 20s is when it went yeah. you. 20, 28, um, it was really just by mistake. It literally bit me and, and I threw my, you know, I threw my whole life into it, into, into uh, improv classes, a, a, a theater company, and then night school and, and then other, you know, the actor studio, anything and everything I could do with the craft or being, you know, to further, to, to further my dream of, of, of making this my life and making it my living, um, which came up against a huge amount of resistance and ridicule from everyone around. I mean, at 28 years old, everyone's settling down, you know, they got a job, they're either getting engaged or got children and I'm going to be an actor, the hardest thing on the planet. And it was, you know, came from a middle-class family who wanted me to be either a doctor or something, you know, so. Right, solicitor. Yeah. <laughs> something, something respectable. Wearing a suit and sitting in an office. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have thought of a worse, not, there's nothing, you know, we, we depend on a lot of people in suits and offices. Sure. But for me, I couldn't do that. So it was, it was, it really was, and, and then after, you know, I, and I knew that if I, when I did this, I knew I had to come to Hollywood and I had a family dog at the time. And so um, I said, when the dog dies, that's it, I'm leaving. And when the dog died, I left, you know, mm -hmm. made my way. And it's been, it's been, you know, I've been here 20 years. I kind of, I, I, it was just a, an amazing fight and struggle of all of the fights and all of the struggles and then some and then some more of all the stories of having to get visas and having to get representation and l losing you know not getting jobs and failing audition you know it's it really is one of the most ridiculous things to do to yourself to become an actor you literally are getting rejected you know, you know, we know how hard it is to go up and ask someone we like, hey, would you like to go for a date? Try doing that three times a day, you know. Try seeing things that you could be on or you could have been in that you didn't audition for on the movies, on TV all day. I could do that, which is a form of rejection because I'm not getting that. I'm not doing that. And, and it just made me more determined. And I, I did. I thoroughly loved it. I didn't think I, I did a day's work. The only thing for me was retaining information learning lines which was a little laborious but it's an astounding way to make a living you're playing you know you're literally playing and i was killing in people and explosions and you know it's like this is crazy and you you also started acting right out of drama school right because you went to central school and then after that didn't you have your own show what was that oh god yeah literally i i you know while i, I kind of did it back to front i started with um a commercials agent so I didn't need any training to do commercials even though you know they had unions you could do commercials and things and like photographic work or whatever paper commercials advertisers and magazines you could do all of that um, without um, your union but I got my union card quick enough through doing you know uh, pop videos and things like that so I was at drama school, and then when I came out of drama school, I then landed some TV hosting job, which um, you know was straight out, and it was quite wonderful. But it, 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 it's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a host. I didn't want to.
do that. I wanted characters. I didn't want to be me. And I found it really uncomfortable being me and looking into a camera because as an actor, you never look directly into camera. Um, and it was really uncomfortable. It was a great show. It was a great, it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it was straight out. And, and, and we were supposed to only be making it for a tiny little region in England, the West country. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. it was never going to be seen by anyone I knew. And then it did so bloody well there that they sold it all over the country. And then all over, I was suddenly on at late night, Friday night, all over the, and I was thrown into like, you know, uh, recognition and it wasn't what I wanted to be recognized for and it was really tough to deal with um, and because I really wasn't happy with the content but uh, kind of fortunately that that uh, they lost their funding for another uh, well they got a second series that got put on two in the morning so the the the, the, the viewing figures went right down and I wasn't worried and when that ended we didn't get a third season it was like okay i'm not doing that ever again i know what i don't want to do that okay, so it was two years two two years of that or two seasons yeah well two seasons they were a year apart because it took them a while to get the money mm-hmm. but um yeah and then and then by the time that was over and i'd done a few plays and uh, a few other tv roles just on cop shows and uh, and commercials it was time to come to hollywood basically mm-hmm. And that was, uh, oh, The Bill. That was that yeah. was a cop show, right? That was your yeah. first uh, yeah. Yeah. episodic thing? Villain, playing the villain on The Bill. I mean, The Bill was, in England, was one of the biggest, I don't know if it's still running, but it ran and ran and ran and ran and ran for years, and it was the cop show. Mm-hmm. And, and I did a, I don't know how, because it was, you could only do a certain, an episode or so as a guest star, uh, and if that, guest I got you know caught as all the bad guys do get caught killed. or killed but no not in England you don't get killed in England the gun you know there's no guns the police don't have not in those days because terrorism wasn't a part of society then you know it was just handcuffed and you know uh, I suppose you know I don't know I don't think anyone actually got killed in the arrest everyone got arrested but so I played over a period of a few years I think I went on it three times and played three different characters and it was always really exciting because it was such a huge, huge show and it was a wonderful thing to be part of. But again, I got to be really nasty. And there's something, you know, it all depends who you are, obviously. Most of us are brought up into a certain place where we, we know how to control ourselves and handle ourselves. We might lose our temper a little bit, but we don't hurt people, most of us. And if we do, there's consequences and consequences are either prison arrest or death you know, or getting hurt by someone. But as an acting actor, when you're the bad guy, there's a paycheck, you know, there's no negative consequences for being bad and evil. And so it's really like this freedom to just let go. And anything that's in you, which was my childhood angst and my anger and my aggression, that was all brought forward to be used in the bad guy. So it was a lot of, you know, and, and, and it did me well, but uh, for, for, for then finding a, a spiritual journey, should we say, to understand that all of that stuff needs to be let go of and released and resolved and dissolved. What was I doing? I was nurturing the, the pain, holding on to it and, and keeping it. So uh, uh, to a certain point, after a really good career and I tried to get them in Hollywood to get me to audition for other things, they couldn't. Well, um, and also your, your big bust out in the States was National Treasure yeah. Shaw and that 
And so in the minds of Americans, they saw you as this hit guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then and then also on 24 and on NCIS, and there was this kind of ambiguous trend. Yeah, it was, no, what I love, and I, I, I was wonderful, wonderful roles, all of the wonderful productions. I was really blessed to do, and a lot of other uh, TV movies and TV shows, but they, you know, I was told the director uh, uh, of National Treasury, he says, look, you come in, we see your headshot and you've got this strong look. So we bring you in and you do a villain audition and you give us really good villain, right? Then you come and work for us and we spend six months making National Treasury. And he says, and I get to know you. He said, but you know, no one gets to know you. Then we put you on the screen as a villain and everybody gets to know you as the villain. So then Hollywood goes to see you as a villain. They go, bring in that villain from that that guy who played that, he's a great villain. So you come in and you are now perpetuating to everybody in the business and everybody outside that you're a villain. He said, but I know you're a lovely guy and you've got a sweet side and this is not who you are because you're not a villain. Right. Of course you're not a villain. He said, but no one knows that. They just see and, and will employ you on what they see and what everyone knows and what everyone likes. And it's like, oh my God, you know, and it happens with women in their roles, with everyone in their roles. It's very hard. There's very few actors that get to play the complete range of their range, you know? Mm -hmm. Usually they're always typecast and stuck. And it's like, it's a very frustrating thing, even though it's wonderful to be bad. You can um, chew the scenery with relish. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, re really in enjoyable romp through, through, uh, um, being in, in, in Hollywood, being in the studios, being in those productions, working with these people and, 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 and you know, the, the, the flip side, which seems to be, it all depends who you are. The flip side is of, of recognition because you, you know, it's a job, you go to work, you do your job and the movie comes out and then you suddenly go, Oh, okay. And then you're like, anywhere you are. And all of a sudden, you know, people stop you, people say something, you don't go around thinking I'm David, the actor, I'm David, the actor, I'm just me. And then all of a sudden someone stops you and you go, Oh fuck. And now you're going to an actor of the actor because you can't say, Oh fuck off. I'm talking to someone. I'm having lunch. I've cut you. You, and you know, you know when people are, uh, want to talk to you in a certain way. And it's, so you, you then play this other character in your life. Then you get very, very aware around you. And it's a, 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 you know, everybody gets this idea of what it's like to be recognized, what it's like to be. It's not. It's a very, very, you know, okay, here's a, here's a, here's a wonderful story of National Treasure. The, we were in New York filming and they didn't have any security. They didn't block off the road. And Nicolas Cage was there and Sean Bean was there. And, you know, these were two huge stars at the time. And these people just came from everywhere and they surrounded Nick and Sean. There was no security. They didn't. And I looked at Sean and, and you know, I was nobody. I was just like standing there watching him. And I could see in Nick and Sean's eyes, utter fear. Anyone could have pulled out a knife and stuck in utter fear that these people they were something, they were close to them. They could touch them. And I was just like, that's not where I would ever want to be. And, you know, they, they, it was just a glitch in the machine that there wasn't the security and that these people rushed them. And it was just like terrifying for me to see that. And I was like, oh my God. So that's, I believe something, uh, you know, that people don't understand that it's a very disarming and, and, and odd place to be when you suddenly come into your public fodder, your public property. And nowadays, you, you know, you, you can't, 
because it, 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 you can't. It can, to a point, say, look, I'm sorry, but then people go, oh, I met him, he's an arsehole. He, I watched one in the Nordscarf and he was like this, he's a shit. He's their interpretation of you just wanting to be private. Right. So you really get to get stuck in this constant awareness that what's gonna happen at any moment or what could happen. You know, uh, after, after um, you know, 24, I would, I swear to God, people would scream obscenities at me. That was a, that was one of the biggest shows on the planet. So we had 34 million people watching season five. That's one in every 10 people in America. And I would be getting out my car and people would go, you fucking asshole. And I'd be like, uh, suddenly realize what they're talking about. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. And I'm doing a good job, but you know, and you know, you're the asshole, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. Okay. 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 And then the NCIS, the end of the, the, the show, 10 years on that show, when I got the script that I was going to kill a character Ziva, and I realized how popular this is the biggest show on the planet, I got terrified, terrified that some mad person was going to take vengeance on me. Right. And I wrote, and I've I literally, you know, literally got on the phone. I said, listen, I'm, you know, I didn't know they were going to kill me in the next two episodes. And I said, look, I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm really worried what you've got me doing here. And they said, no, 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 don't, don't worry we got it covered they didn't tell me because they didn't want to give me the i know that i was going to die until uh, you know those, i got the script and we were doing a table reading and suddenly i went oh you're killing me off after 10 years but i did i got terrified that one of these crazy people because you know just people screaming at me for being bad is okay but killing a beloved character of 15 years in a show so you know but yeah, I, 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 and then I, and then I kind of walked away. I came to, you know, I walked away. I came to Topanga and, you know, I was screenwriting anyway, learning the craft and I kind of took myself out of the loop, but cause I couldn't get, you know, I was literally, I'm going to say this. I would literally cry to my manager saying, I'm not doing these bad guys anymore. I said, I've got more. I want to give my heart, not my head, not my anger. I want to give my heart. I want to play something different. And, wasn't happening so i just decided um this is my time to walk away i'll go and live in topanga and, and then other things fell into you know to... and then and 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 really i i think of you as a writer and as an as an artist of course because you're a wonderful painter mm. and everything so you're you've 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 had this really interesting trajectory because you've had this ride of the acting train, which has treated you well, but then you recognize, mm, I, I don't really want to do that so much, or you would want probably want to do it if you were in control of a project. If you if there was a project that really interested interested you, I imagine that you would. You oh, know, absolutely, absolutely. I'm pretty sure if someone was to offer me something, I mean, if it was completely opposite to what I was doing, I would relish it. Um, there's no doubt that I, I, I would love to do do it again. But right now, you know, I have five movie scripts written and there are different genres. There's two, two uh, romantic comedies, there's one drama um, and there's one very special adventure family movie and it literally came in a download, like a zip file and, and it's, it's my baby and it's all heart. It's like Forrest Gump meets Pay It Forward. It's the most, most beautiful story and the lead is a little boy and it's set in the 80s in southern america and it's just uh, this is my baby and i'm you know i'm just my i'm going through the the new 
rejection right now. I've had it before writing, but now I'm really knocking on doors and getting no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. But that's okay. But it's, again, it's a tough thing, you know. I produce all my books myself, my own publishing um, through Amazon, which is, you know, which is okay. But the movies, I, I need to go through other people. Mm-hmm. But it's all right because I'm, I know I'll make it happen. Um, it, it, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting, uh, you know, it's entered a few competitions. I literally, literally uh, last night got a, a runners up uh, award for my, for this script. It's won numerous runners up, semi-final, quarterfinal. It's won in a festival as, as won a festival. So it's just, it, I know I'm doing something right with this story. Um, and it's just, it's just that one person that's going to get it. Well, and, and it will happen because you, you are clear on the what. You have the what and the hows are going to take care of themselves, I suspect. Well, this is, yeah, this is the, you know, if we spend our time, this is the manifesting secret is, you know, you know what you want to do, you do it, and you know that once you're, you take it into the quantum of the future, it's already, it's already a done deal. This is already a wonderful movie. It's giving joy to a lot of people. And that's what I live with. Now, how the rest of the universe is conspire to make this happen, it will happen. I got to get out of my way. As soon as I start doubting, as soon as I start fearing, I start stopping the, those synchronicities happening. And I know this because I know how I got in my way with acting. You know, I had a fight. I fought the journey instead of allowing the journey. Um, so uh, uh, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I do a lot of... Um, a lot of where well, I suppose it's meditation, you know, I, I, on my little, I have a little treadmill in the basement. I was decided, oh, why do I want to go to a gym? And all I do is go on the treadmill. It cost me $600 to go to a gym. I cut 20 minutes in the car to get there, 20 minutes to get back. Cost me parking. I'll just get a treadmill. It costs me, it's already pays for itself. And, and, and so I did that. Now I have a, a fake Oscar sitting in the front of the treadmill. And, it, and it's staring at me when I walk and I can't, no, and I pick it up and I hold it and I just go, yeah, and I make a speech and I just hold it. And I feel, I feel that not that, you know, the award is going to bring me anything, but it's the fact that this movie is going to give a lot of joy. It's going to be that good that it's going to, it warrants this award. Um, but the award is never going to bring me happiness. Yeah, it's, it's the, the Academy Award, the Imaginary Academy Award. It's yeah. symbolic. You know, recognition and success. The greatest, I tell people, look, it's the feeling of that, of the success. It's not the success itself, which creates it. Um, What does every rock and roll star do? They get their hairbrush and they stand by the mirror and they go, thank you, Los Angeles. (sighs) And they feel that and they feel it. And that drives, that drives them to make the reality because they live their future already, already happening, you know. Um, and, and, and every time a record company, sorry, not for us, they're like, yeah, someone else, you know, someone else. And if you ever, did you see the Freddie Mercury movie? Yes. You know, when he came in with Bohemian Rhapsody and they're like, no, and that, no, are you crazy? No one's going to buy this shit. And he's like, fuck you. And they walk out, you know, and it's like one of the greatest, greatest leaps of faith to produce something so audacious and so long because everything was like three like uh through two minutes 50 or three minutes 20 Mm -hmm. it was not six minutes Mm -hmm. long that's that was their big issue like well you got to cut it no we're not cutting there's a lot of of wonderful critics out there sitting in their ivory towers that think they know and they don't 
And the world is full of people who have proved them wrong again and again and again. Um, whether it's sportsmen, look at um, the woman that wrote Harry Potter, you know, rejection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it, 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 is, it is astounding how how much rejection people have gone through and all we know is their success um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I had this story that I have uh, the, the, I'll say it the director and producer of, uh, of National Treasure he said when he read my script he said it's wonderful and, and he goes but he says you can't go on about people's financial hardships and medical bills and, and mortgage. And I'm like, dude, you're, I didn't say this, but this is what went through my mind. You are in your Malibu mansion on the, literally on the sea with millions and millions and millions in the bank. And what I'm writing about is normal America. And you don't experience this because all your buddies and all your friends are living in mansions and all driving Bentleys and blah, blah, blah. You do not understand that I can go on about this because everybody understands this is reality that they're struggling to pay their bills and the medical bill can wipe you out for years. And, and I didn't say that, but he said, you're not, it's not realistic. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. And I didn't, I didn't even go there and say not to you mm. because you live in a different place. And it is, we, there is different layers of, of way people live and they have no idea that people are living where they're living. Mm -hmm. So, um, I understood. And then at the end of the, at the end of his email, he said, I'm most probably completely and totally wrong. And I said, no, you are completely and totally wrong. <laughs> and, and I look forward to, you know, to uh, communicating with him and saying, no, it's made and it's done this. And, you know, it's given people a lot of joy, but he did say it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Maybe it should be a kid's book first, but that's okay. They're, everybody's entitled to their opinion how they see it through their lens of perception, how they would like the story to be. Um, but it, yeah, so this is the, the journey now is, is writing, putting, putting messages into storytelling, into narratives that, um, you know, the hero's journey is everyone's journey. We're all going on a hero's journey, all of us, and we, most of us have no idea about that. Yeah, and, and the hero's journey is, is uh, 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 to give these wonderful stories in, in, in narratives, which are in a lot of narratives, but without violence, without the, the, the aspects that I've played with and been in, and, and to bring heart and uplifting conscious messages into good stories. So that's where, what I like, you know, whether it's my last little book about the three dogs and the Buddhas, and, you know, I just did, I've got a poem book out with 101 of my conscious poems, it's called Poems for the Soul, it's like, this is where I'm supposed to be now is giving of my journey, you know? And there's unfettered creativity. And because you're working on all these different mediums, um, how incredibly beautiful and freeing that is. Because you're not limited by anything. No, no, you know, and I, I, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it and I have no shame about it. I did ayahuasca in 2000 I think I don't know in 2015 I don't know if I knew you then but I did ayahuasca and when I came out of the first time I did it I was like I just want to be the fool on the hill like the Beatles song I want to be the fool on the hill and I just want to paint love I just want to paint paintings with love and when I came to Topanga I did I just got into this like with really bright colors I've got a room down down in my cellar with just love paintings and one day i have this you know and i did i just started painting love and all the time i was painting them i would infuse them with love infuse them with love 
and I've decided that one, you know, once this COVID's over, I'm going to do a show, and well, it's, it's going to be called the Love of Art or the Art of Love, mm-hmm. and all of the paintings will go. They all got love. It's just big words of love in the paintings, bright love paintings, and they, all the money will go to charity. That's it. So you buy love, you get love, but your money is also giving. So it's that's the thing about love. It's always it's always giving of itself. So yeah, and it's and, limitless. It's limitless. Yeah, it is. And so I get to paint and play with textures, and I get to write poems and write stories and write movies. And sure enough, those movies won't will come off the page, and and ca- actors will get to bring the characters to life. And and I do, you know, we're creating a life. We are the creators of our reality, whether we know it or not. We are creating our own story. We are the writers, the directors, the producers, the screenwriters. And we are our own costume designers and makeup artists. And yeah. we, we, we are creating every aspect of our life by our choices, whether we know it or not. And, it, you know, I, I, I love the fact that I get to, to understand that I believe, as I think Picasso said this, you know, everyone's a, everyone's a great artist. It's whether they can retain that after, you know, the system has butchered you know, stop, shh, put that down, quiet, stop that now, behave, don't, no, no, all of those, no, 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 behave, creativity, imagination gets into a box of this is wrong, can't do that. And I think that's where a lot of frustration in life comes from is people aren't using their creativity or they don't know what to do with this energy that's, that's within them, you know. So we turn on the TV, we have a drink, we get stoned, we, we distract ourselves wherever we can because there's something in us that's creating this uneasiness and no one's taught us how to deal with being with ourselves or what to do with that, which is, doesn't matter if you can't paint anything. That's what abstract painting. Oh, tell Jackson Pollock that, man. <laughs> he just had, a, he had the greatest time. And oh shit, look, they want to give me ridiculous amounts of money. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I'll throw paint yeah. everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, what's interesting too is that you could have potentially, given your parents' attitude towards you know play, mm. you could have become one of those people who is really locked in and 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 who who didn't explore their creativity. But you went the opposite way. Mm. Yeah. That, that you know, there's a a point. I think in everyone's life where we can fight to break the chains of the heritage. Um, um, You know, I'm reading a book at the moment, To Be a Man, I can't remember who's, and it's about the pressure, the peer pressure. A little boy is a little boy, and all of a sudden, as he gets to a point as being a little boy, be a man, man up, be manly, big boys. Boys, men don't do this, men don't do that, men don't, you're a little fucking boy. And all you want to do is be a little boy. Now, all of a sudden, I have to be a man, but I'm only a little, I'm a little boy. So you've got to prove something of yourself. And, and there's shame because you're only a little boy. So it all gets transferred to shame. The shame then gets hidden and we get aggressive. We become competitive. We, you know, whether it's towards women or business or whatever, we're hunters. We're, and it's all of this pressure from family, from your peers, from society. And I was like, for some reason, when I was young, I was like, I don't want to be this story. This is not the story. For some reason, I don't know. I believe in reincarnation. I think this little soul was not ready, was ready to evolve 
an evolutionary leap of, nah, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to play. I'm not going to do what you want me to do or be what you want me to be. And if you don't want to love me for it and you want to guilt me for it, which comes with the, when you, you know, that it's literally like a, okay, here's the great thing I learned. When people, millions of years ago, we were all in tribes. You could never leave the tribe. If you left the tribe, you're dead. Get eaten by wild animals, you wouldn't be looked after. There's no, you know, no campfire, whatever. No, you can't just walk away from the tribe. And this is in our genetics. So if you are like me, a middle-class Jewish boy, sort of background, you want to walk away from all of that? Say, sorry, I don't want to be Jewish. Sorry, I don't want to be, in, uh, be bigoted and, and prejudiced the way my religion and my class and everything was in those days. I'm going to be this person. There's a lot of fear involved because you're ostracizing yourself. You're going to get literally crucified by them. You're going to get ridiculed by them. You're going to get attacked by them. And most people who want to leave their break the chains and want to evolve, it's so scary because that innate genetic of leaving the tribe is death. And they will live a life just going through the motions because they don't dare, you know, but you know, if those people don't want to love you, then you make your life. You've got one life. They don't want to love you. That's their problem. I'll still love them. And if they don't want to love me, that's their problem. But the guilt to, you know, to be guilted, not to, which it is just the way of the system, guilt and shame. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. What would your grandfather say? You know, oh, oh no, I'll do this for them. <sighs> no. So there was something in me that just went, no, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm supposed to have taken this journey that got me to here. And my journey now is to allow other people to see that you can do that. Not just with, you know, um, no, there are numerous levels that I, I, I went against and still against is the wrong word. But, you know, just now, um, it's very wonderful that we've had what's happening with um, the, the racial situation because it's not just that side. It's, it's whether it's Jews and Palestinians, whether it's Americans, Latinos, every single side of prejudice and bigotry, small-mindedness needs to wake up that this is, this is heritage. It's all it is. It's heritage. It's hand-me-down. And I remember meeting with my brothers not so long ago and sitting in a restaurant and then just because they're where they are, because of what it was, that there was comments made about people in this restaurant. And that's the way we were raised. But I, I didn't go there. I didn't tell them it was wrong. I had a really good conversation about people are where they are because that's where they're born into, you know, and they're the same as you. And they can make comments about you and your religion and your class and your color. And just, just the same as you saying something to them or them saying to you. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing it that way. And it was really interesting to go, instead of telling them they were wrong, to go into a, a conscious communication with them in regards to it, which actually had them see, see that way. And, and, you know, there was, there's been things over the last few years where I have sought forgiveness to, uh, of my father um, who had done some incredibly despicable things to everyone in his life. Mm -hmm. um, I had nothing but love for him and I wanted to go and visit him in 
he's dementia in a home and tell him I loved him. And that very one action of forgiveness created a, a tsunami effect on everyone in my family because they got to see themselves. They got to see their own unforgiving and hateful, resentful bitterness that they were hanging on to. And it resolved relationships in my family. People who hadn't seen each other for 20 years were all in the room together. And, you know, brothers who suddenly changed their mind about things. And it was just said, look, look, the power of love, the power of understanding. You don't need to tell anyone they're wrong. You just need to lead by example and do things. And and this is this is this is where I am with my writing or with my life is 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 doing the work. Love is the thing that breaks the spell of ignorance and fear and hatred. Mm. I think it's the fear of love that makes people. That's all. It's such a powerful thing. It's a frightening thing to love. It really is. And again, being the man, you know, society. You know, you know, we you know, we have warriors, we have soldiers, we have archetypes, sportsmen, sportsmen. It's very, you know, it's all sport or and it, the, these archetypal figures, these heroes, and James Bond, you know, and and all all of them, are, you know, they're such manly characters. To how can you, you know, they, they, none of them are are, are are steeped in compassion and, and love, really. You know, they they're all. I remember when they changed James Bond and they got Piers Brosnan and he mm -hmm. became very politically correct and a much softer Bond. And I was like, oh, I don't like him. You know, he's, he was a bit yeah, too, it's too charming. Yeah. Too charming, too charming soft. Yeah. All that character, but that's a terrible, you know, here we are saying, you know, so, so society, the male of society has, um, has a, a tough spell to break. Um, I remember, you know, my dad said, you know, real men don't cry. Mm. And I'd be watching TV with my mom and I'd cry, whether it was Lassie or whatever it was back in the 70s. And both my brothers would come in and laugh at me in front of my mom. <laughs> Dave's is crying. And my mom said, real men can cry. And I'm like, okay, I have a choice now. Dad says this, mom says this. And I thought, well, I really feel crying is a good thing. So... Now I cry at the drop of a hat and I'm a sensitive little boy still and, and it's good. Mm -hmm. And I have no shame about crying in front of people. I really wish that I'd had that chance to do that on screen because I think it's the most incredible thing to see a, a man show. Maybe I will, you know, but I'll get that chance and, you know, I, uh, it, it, would be a, it would be a wonderfully poignant moment to give that. I think it's, it is. This is, this is, this is what, you know, humanity needs is, is, is the evolution of, of the species. You know, women are, are, are coming into their forefront now, thank God, you know. Soon, hopefully the most powerful people in this planet will be women and the world will really make the change. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The, the female of the race is definitely more evolved. Not all of them, but they're doing the work far more. There's a there's a there's an instinct to create community and create connection that women have because that is how they have survived through the mm -hmm. millennia because they they don't have the upper body strength as men do so they've had to find other ways but I think that's how they create safety and community is making connections and building those bonds mm -hmm. and that is that is uh, the great power of the divine feminine is is exactly that. 
And it also makes life much better for men as well. Mm. To, to oh, I mean, again, like I, like I said, one of the greatest, the greatest um, way that the, the shame of not being able to be a man comes out and is translated is aggression, mm -hmm. um, is proving. And whether that's, um, and, and all of that aggression, even that word itself, um, it, it is the cause of all of conflicts, whether it's marital relationships, um, business, the way we're ruining the planet, the politics of the world, you know, it's being handled with such ego and hubris and it's, it's not the way we can't do this anymore. The planet's telling us whether you want to see it this way or not with the fires, with the, the virus, look, we're sick. We're, we're not doing a good job of uh, 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 looking after a living creature, uh, our home, which we're part of. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it seems like craziness at the moment, but it's a, it's a really good time to be alive and be awakening to all of this. And you mentioned um, a little bit ago about the fear of love, especially for men. And I wonder if that is because the fear of losing it. It's not the love so much, but it's the fear of the loss of the love. Is that, is that what causes the fear, do you think? I, can, I, I have a personal, so I went to college to learn spiritual psychology. And when you go there, all of a sudden it opens the floodgates of all of your past and all of your subconscious. And the first, after the first weekend, all of a sudden the sentence came to me, which had been buried my whole life. When I was three years old and my mother was in the, in the middle of a horrible divorce, she had little David on her knee, crying her eyes out. She said to me, which I had buried and completely forgotten, but I had acted upon, no one's going to love you like me. They're always going to hurt you. They're always going to leave you. And this little boy went, love, fuck off. So what did I do? I made sure that would happen. I would make sure that anyone that got close to me, I would be nasty to them and then they would leave me. See, mum was right. Mm -hmm. That's how, yeah, yeah sure. off. And so I am, up until recently, in the last few years, have had to learn how to open my heart again properly to understand that this relationship I'm in is not going to end like my parents. It's not going to be resentful and hurtful and bitter. They were so bitter and horrible to each other. It was like, how can two people have ever had three children? I don't understand this. <laughs> I see all these wonderful romantic things on TV, but look, my reality is not the same. That's how this little boy based it off. And that one sentence... So for me, my personal journey with love is my personal journey. Everybody has their own story with how their first girlfriend and what happened to their parents. And one sentence can change and alter a child or a man's perspective. So I can't speak for anybody else, but you know, uh, it's our, again, on a, an idea of love, we've been raised in fiction. Mm -hmm. Happy Ever After, Disney, romantic comedy. Those are all fictional. We never see these people, you know, live with each other and irritate each other and trigger each other. And the, the true idea of religion, yoga, um, union, coming together, being with someone is evolution, the learning of yourself through them. It's like whatever is triggering me and Olivia, my girlfriend, this is me. 
it's never them, it's always me. It's like, oh fuck, what is this now that's coming up? So, you know, today there was a, something coming up about some, some things going on in life in the house here. And, and I said, okay, well, this is taking me back to, you know, when my mother used to tell me that I wasn't doing something right. And now I'm blaming people for other people for not being competent. And this is my incompetence. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is I will entrap things that will make me look at myself. And so all of a sudden I owned up this morning. I said, okay, everybody's doing the best that I can, but what they're doing is showing me, me and I'm projecting and telling them, Hey, they're this. No, they're not. They're doing the best they can. I'm now seeing something that I haven't let go of. And that is a condition that stands in the way of my unconditional love. So the real story of love is undoing all of these things that stand in the way, all of them. And, and then in the end, you know, when you understand that even Trump's doing the best he is, man, I got nothing against him. I don't, you know, he, we don't know what he was raised. We know that his race, his father raised, don't ever trust anyone. Don't ever. Now that's one sentence he was given. How much more his father had, you know, ingrained in him and conditioned him. He's just, how he is because of the conditioning mm -hmm. so you know he's not he, 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 he you can't lay judgment on someone who forgive them he knows not what he's doing he doesn't know right so, and protection he's protecting himself against invisible threats that he's been conditioned to believe existed and they don't mm -hmm. well it's it's also too an example of uh, a family where some people grew up as reasonably adjust, uh, well-adjusted people. Mm. And then he was an example of somebody who was, you know, he was quite brutalized by his father and, and he was a victim of that. And so, and, and the other siblings managed to, managed to learn, managed to uh, make their way out of that way of thinking. And, uh, and they were spared that. So, but not everybody has the tools to do that. Well, it, it, again, it's like people always say, hold on a minute. If you do look at siblings, they could be also very, very different. And there is, whether you want to believe it or not, there is the karma we come into this body with. Now, why is it that Trump didn't do what his siblings did? Well, maybe they were 10 lifetimes ahead of him, maybe one lifetime ahead of him, maybe a hundred lifetimes ahead of him. You know, everyone comes in with a different journey. Then we've got the same, same karma happens in life. And we don't know how to translate it. So we misunderstand and misperceive everything. And we carry these misperceptions and misunderstandings. And it creates character and personality, which isn't truth. It's just this character that we've fumbled into. Mm -hmm. and, and, and through subconscious programming of, of protections. And it's, uh, you know, and I, you know, like I said, that one thing my mother said to me, no one will ever love you like me. They always hurt you and always, you know, leave you. All right. Anyone got close to me, fuck you, I'll turn into an arsehole. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to break my heart. You're not going to hurt me. Ha, see? Yeah. I ruined every relationship in my life because of one misunderstanding. Yeah. And they would most probably judge me as a cunt, as an arsehole when I was a young man. And in their eyes, that's the way they saw me. But they didn't understand that there was a reason. And it's so deep that everybody does everything for all the wrong reasons they don't mean it they're just caught caught in in being the humanness the conditionings mm -hmm. so it's a wonderful place to understand i might not agree with certain people but i understand you know and that way i'm at peace as people going crazy over trump i understandably because i understand they don't see 
um, you know, and it's not, I'm just using one example. It's all over the place with everybody in, in how they are. So this is my path is finding living the greater understanding and 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 and, and undoing the conditioning. And it's a really courageous place to be, you know. It is, and I think part of uh, loving someone is accepting them unconditionally for who they are. Mm. To be loved is to be accepted and embraced as, as a person who is enough, mm. as they are, and for all of their eccentricities mm. and failings and whatnot. And I think that that is really what love is, that you can rest in, in that person's gaze as you are. Yeah, I mean, you know, think about, and there were things about my brothers, about my family, about my mothers, about my dad, about numerous people in my life that I wasn't accepting. And what did that cause in me? Upset, disturbed, dis-ease, unease. And it's like, well, why am I living? It's the old adage of, you know, why would you hold hot coals? You know, it's like, so I learned to, oh, what am I doing to myself here? I'm not accepting these people. And that's, that's who, but it was, an, you know, I had to get to the journey of understanding why that that people are just doing what they're doing and being where they are because they have their own curriculum they have their own karma and, and it's you can't see that or understand it because everything's hidden and everybody's it's so hard to say this everybody is doing the best they can where they are in that moment and 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 to to the the these teachings to live the again they're ancient teachings you know mixture of buddha and christ the same thing they were just enlightened beings that saw the great, the great mystics the great teachers yeah, and look at but look at the story of the buddha he was a rich prince man he he left his wife and a kid because he must have been what is this crazy people the hierarchy of the palace and the poverty and it's just like the way people must have been really bitchy in the palace you know all of that and he just went fuck he had something that was like, i don't this is crazy and he left it, you know, and to give, and he spent, I think it was well over nine years figuring it all out. Huh? I think it was more than that because- Oh no, he was oh, only three for nine years or something. Yes, and before that, he was trying the different things, the different extremes, yeah, yeah. one of the Mahasiddha, the great mystic, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of he went to all, all different enlightened people to try and figure out if their way was his way. Yep. Yeah, and being a sadhu, that that didn't take. <laughs> and, and 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 it's funny because you know, the essence of Buddhism is nothing to do with religion. It this is again another mis, misinterpretation. Is it's a way of being. That's all it is. It's not to be used as prayer. And no, he wouldn't have want that. The same as Jesus wouldn't want any of this crap. You know. Yeah. Um, these people were just saying, say, hey, you're love, yeah, love everyone, we're one, whatever it is, you know. So, and living without contention, that's the other thing. Living without, without grrr, fighting, fighting, fighting. And, and once you recognize that, you're able to be much more constructive in your life and to, to rest in that, in the aspect of that. Yes, and, and then you have time and energy for doing what, what you are meant to do. Uh, I think on some level by stealth, certain aspects of humanity didn't want people to wake up. Oh, I think that's very true. Because when 
when it gets to the tipping point where everyone becomes a sovereign human being and they find their true almighty divinity, the, the system that's been controlling and manipulating us for thousands of years falls because it relies on us being mere and human and, and controllable and malleable and, and especially interfere. If people are in love, they don't fall for any of it. That's right. And I, and I think of all the great teachers who have, who have said to people of humble origins or people on the fringes, you are loved, you are important. And then, you know, like in Jesus's case, the Roman said, stop it, stop it right now. <laughs> Couldn't have that. And of course, you know, ended up killing him. And then the great teachers, most of them have ended up being killed. The Buddha yeah. was an exception to that. Who? But a rare one. The Buddha was the uh, yeah, Nobody yeah. went after him. <laughs> um, there was a, a wonderful story of um, a man who went to go and see Gandhi he was really angry. He was going to give him, oh, got to tell him. And he was like, and obviously when Gandhi goes to the villages, there were miles, people stood in miles to wait to just go and, just go and, you know, kiss his feet or whatever, just go and be in his presence. And this man waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And he was getting more and more and more and more furious. And he was just like, however long he waited. And he finally, when he got to, to, to see Gandhi, he looked in his eyes and he just fell to his feet and cried. And he served Gandhi. He served him on his, on his political wing. From then on, he gave his life to serving the man. Just saw like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of that. He just blew his heart open. and He just dedicated his life to service of, of, of you know, the good of everyone. And it's just the most astounding story that this man was so much love in him that he could, oh, I'm gonna, <laughs> Ooh, I that, you know, that was, that was the surprise of his life, you know, and, and it's, it's wonderful that the presence, I don't know, you know, I keep reading that they say the presence of a person with an open heart is worth 10,000 people with a closed heart. And this is why it's really important because every time you, you're out and you do good deeds and you do things, right things, say things and behave in a way that by example, it really energetically affects people. It does. The best, the best teachers are the ones who aren't the teachers per se, but they're the ones who are the examples who mm. live that. Mm. Those are the ones who have the most profound effect on us. Yeah. I'm, I, I, you know, Unfortunately and fortunately, it's the irony the, that we have this oracle, the, the screen of the media that presents what um, is to be lauded. And um, it's changing. I think it is changing. Um, as the Kardashians rule ends. We <laughs> no longer live in Kardashia. Yeah, and, and, and their fans suddenly grow up and go, oh my God, you know these little girls, like, what was I doing? You know, uh, the, the, the whole, the, the world is rapidly changing where, where, where there's so much consciousness uh, being shown out there on the media that I, I think that, that Hollywood's scrambling now to, to figure out a way to, it, it was still early days, but I believe, you know, the stuff that I'm writing soon, we will all be seeing far more conscious storytelling less violence you know um because it's just it's just you're conditioning the society to remain exactly the same people are going to i don't want to see that 
once the, the tipping point happens and people, it's years ahead, but people start, to, you know, taking these um, evolutionary leaps and coming into their heart, they don't, get, don't want to watch that anymore. Don't want to watch violence anymore. Don't want to see any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. I was like, when, when Quentin Tarantino's latest film came out, the Hollywood one, I was like, oh, Tarantino. And then, and then I was like, someone said, oh, there's some violence. And I didn't see it for ages. I didn't see it for ages. And I really wanted to see it, but I just like, didn't want to go and see it. There and was then the Joker, the Joker, you know, someone said there's some, and I was like, someone said there's some real violence. And then I was like, took me a while to go and see it. And I found, you know, it was only a small bit of violence in both of those movies. And it was, it, it, it's disturbing. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's the performances that I wanted to see, but I was really surprised that I didn't jump to go and see them because I really wanted to go. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't really want to see that anymore. I had the same response. And with the Joker, I can't say that I enjoyed the film. However, I appreciated the mastery of it and Joaquin mm -hmm. Phoenix, certainly. Um, mm -hmm. but, but also once, time, once upon a time in Hollywood, that scene that you're talking about, um, I found it so, so flesh crawling and disturbing it just you know but i understand what it was meant to do intellectually but it was not a pleasant experience I don't know if I don't know. it was really over the bloody top it went it went it went <laughs> yeah it really took you into like oh it was the most jarring thing because there hadn't been anything like that in the movie yeah. and it went to 11 it was yeah yeah <laughs> And, I and, thought, really, Quentin, did we need to do this? Absolutely. Um, um, but, you know, luckily it really was, when I mean, we're talking about that, must have lasted, it was a, a grotesque two minutes of, of a, a, a two-hour movie, you yeah. know, 1% of the movie. But, yeah, the movie could have been just as good without it. Yeah. I think so. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino, one of his gifts is is capturing the feeling, the thrill of being in a car and listening to music with the wind. Yeah. That is so, that is for those of us who are of the same generation as mm. Tarantino as you and I are, we grew up with that. And that is, he's very, he's very evocative in certain ways. And, and I appreciate that so much of him. So, you know, I tolerated the two minutes and some violence, <laughs> but. Yeah. It was, it was, it was real nostalgia. It really was. And, and, it was and, a love letter. It was a love letter. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's like, he broke a lot of rules in making that, that movie, but it doesn't matter. And then there with uh, the Joker, it was just a wonderful, intriguing look at this is how that character became him talking of conditioning my god you know that poor boy that poor little boy that poor man he was just a victim of not understanding and learning how to deal with all of this so he created what became you know this monster mm -hmm. but how wonderful to to see that because we've just seen the character the joker in all the movies we never saw how does someone become this you know we get a little a little tell that well this is how the joker became the joker but the depth of it was really wonderful and yeah his perform i it's funny because my brother said have you seen the joker yet um and i'm like no and i would watch the trailer and as soon as i saw the trailer i said he's winning the oscar for this i just said that i said he's yeah. won it i didn't even yeah. know what he was going to come up against it was just the first trailer and i just knew it mm -hmm. how he used his body was amazing 
There's a great outtake somewhere. There's a really good outtake where he's in character and he's trying to do something and someone says something offset and he loses his temper. And, and I think they were trying to, someone who got the, the outtake out was trying to like say, oh, oh look, he, he loses his temper. It's like, listen, when you're in a disturbed character and you're really trying to focus and you're trying to be really disturbed and you're in that place and someone like knocks something over, you know, it's, it's you know, and uh, it was really interesting because I, when, he, when I saw him do that, I was like, man, he's so, so deep in there. Yeah, he's, in there. In there. he's really in there. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's, there, being disturbed is very disturbing as an actor, <laughs> but it's a really intriguing place to go. Uh-huh. I've done you know, some characters in my time, and one was a terrible serial killer on, I uh, can't remember the name of the show. And he would, he would go into, he, he, he worked in a hospital, and he would give his blood, and then he would trace where his blood was donated to, he would then find those people, kill them, take their blood and take, and then disembowel them and then like set them up in their living rooms. But he would have the, uh, like, uh, like the, the, what do they call it? Formaldehyde. He would preserve them. And so he would just be like, this, or he would follow his blood, kill them and preserve families, children. And he was this crazy sick character. And you know, there was a there was a, a scene where I had to approach a little girl who cut her knee in a park, and I had to approach her, knowing that this character was going had intentions for this little girl, and it was just like creepy, really uncomfortable place to be. But you know, damn, you know that you understand that that it's funny because I play you know people people talk about violence and evil, and I said there is no such thing as evil because literally everyone that I, character I played, you, the narratives and I've studied evil, it comes from pain, it comes from suffering, it comes from hurt and hurt, hurt and pain and suffering gets turned into evil because it's stuck and it needs to come out. And, and regardless of what we all know, people who get molested become molesters, you know, it's just this, this stuck energy and it's understanding where evil comes from on that level. People can't, you, you can't tell people, look, murderers mass murderers whatever they do they're in so much pain i've watched i've watched you know in my research i've watched things that will make people people puke and you understand watching these people in their eyes some of these terrible videos real life videos of what terrorists do so they're all just can't can't get this out in in a in a in a in a, in a uh, cathartic safe place it comes out yeah, these are not well-adjusted people. <laughs> they don't know how to adjust themselves. And so that can be forgiven when you understand it. But most people don't because society says, good, bad. Mm. Well, why did they do that? No, bad. And as soon as you make someone bad, then they feel they're bad. Well, they're not bad because they don't understand. You know, but that's what we're told as a kid. Bad. I, uh, fine. Well, then that's what you expect of me. That's what I'll be. Yeah, because healthy, well-adjusted, contented people do not kill people and do not do horrible things to other people because there's no impetus to do so. Well, it's funny because what we consider to be happy, adjusted people, um, you know, 
society has a ridiculous amount of abusive, verbal abusive, abusive people who are drinking every night, who uh, there are a certain amount of physical abusive, you know, people out there, but there's a lot of abuse, self-abuse with alcohol, self-abuse, you know, with, with drugs and, and then abusing other people. And that's rampant, but this is, this is normal. Now it's just a, a top of the scale where someone's going out and doing something really nasty, which we then go, Hey, you, well, they're just that much more affected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you take away, take away the alcohol, take away the TV, take away all the sedatives and stimulants and distractions, and you'll have a society full of lunatics mm-hmm. because they have no idea of how to adjust themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay. I understand that as well. Oh, I've been there and done it all, all the drugs, all the aggression, everything. Um, and if they don't do it in this lifetime, they get the next. And if they don't do it in the next, you know, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, this human. It's not easy to be human. <laughs> it really isn't. No, but we chose this, apparently. Because mm. it's the ride of the universe. And And human beings they are a most remarkable animal and also have within them such brilliance and creativity and oh, amazingness yeah. and also this other side, this potential for violence and you know, horrible things. And, and it's, you know, I mean, and humans are extremely effective in what they do. So the damage they do or the good that they do is, is enormous. Even just well, one person. I, 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 absolutely. And I think if, if we take the parables of the parables of the Bible, you know, the, the, the falling from grace, the bite mm-hmm. of the apple, desires, that's exactly where it all comes from. And all of that, if it was properly understood and shown to us and taught to us that it's all about the, the ego, heaven hell desire you know falling from grace is is like getting unconscious and but the, the it wasn't translated properly it wasn't told to us properly it was mis, mistranslated uh, most probably unfortunately by mistake at first and then on purpose to you know when the truth did come Absolutely out on purpose yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know th- this is this is the thing is that um an awful lot of of us um, if the tools had been given to us, society would come to a different place. But where we are now is an incredible place because so many people have got so much and so little within them. And everybody's got to a point where, hold on a minute, I'm doing this and what's it for? And what are we doing? We're killing the planet. What are we doing to each other? What, what's going on here? Everyone's starting to look at within themselves, which it's all about. What is the story about? Why am I here? What is this? Oh, hold on. What is this? Who's this um, Deepak Chopra? I heard about him. Eckhart Tolle. I'm going to read their books. You know, back in uh, 1928, Herman Hesse wrote Siddhartha. Mm-hmm. That book didn't sell till rock and roll came in and the, uh, and the status quo of America started cracking. Then the book started, oh, look, what's this? The story of Buddha, who, kept, who knew, wanted to know. It was all Jew, Jew, Judeo-Christian, you know. Right. And then in the 60s, since the 60s, that book come and has sold millions and millions and millions of copies. But society wasn't allowing already. Mm-hmm. And now we have this conscious tsunami 
like waking people up, whether it's Gabby Burns. There's little piece of everyone, for anything for anyone. Gabby Burns, Sinek, I told Deepak Chopra, Joe Dispenza, so many people out there who, are, who you know, and Joe's great because he has got the science to, to it. And it really, we, if you do the right investigation now, you, you will see that you can place the parables of Jesus and the words of Buddha together with quantum physics. And, and, you know, and we get an understanding of, oh my God, Deepak wrote an amazing book recently called Metahuman. And it's really just the science of what this is. And it's mind blowing. We are in a holographic virtual reality. We're in the matrix. And, and I'm having a ride in this, this and but i believe in it i believe in this that this is me who i am and that's it's a again another terrifying thing not just leaving the tribe but walking away from yourself okay. um you're not who you think you are you're far greater than that and to to keep that perspective and not keep falling into oh, i've got to do this and all of this and all man be a man and i've got to achieve and i've got to prove and, and i've got to be picked i've got to be picked <laughs> yeah accepted approved uh, you know it's it's really quite crazy and that's why i love i, I love the, the song the fool on the hill you know because he's no fool at all um and you know it's leaving leaving hollywood of 20 years and three years now still that ego is f fighting because I was 20 years, I was an actor. Then for the last however many years, I was a known actor and I had that ego and people recognized me and I was like, I need more to work, give me more again. What are you doing now, Dave? Oh, I saw you in this, I saw you. Rubbing, masturbating the ego, masturbating the ego, masturbating. And now I don't have that. And all of a sudden, that part of me, he's so still thrashing like a wild animal for for like, uh, uh, some approval, some recognition to, to give me pride. Fuck that. It's just, a, it's a never ending. More, 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 more. You're never enough. You never rest in peace in life. And it's such a crazy game. Um, and uh, it, 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 it's something that is going to take a while because there's 20 years in the building and it was, the ego was already there. But it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to go, no, I'm going to write and I'm going to, enjoy what I'm doing and be at peace and not get on the hamster wheel, you know, fight for, fight for, and I, you know, my greatest thing I tell people is where does satisfaction and um, excitement start? Mm. You start at the high point mm -hmm. and they come down. We're chasing the impossible excitement and you know awards and there was a really great interview with mickey Rourke. you know he came back and he did the wrestler you know yes, yes barbara, barbara barbara walters interviewed him after he won the oscar and she said so what does the oscar mean to you and he goes i can't fuck it and i can't eat it <laughs> and i was like it's so true you know it's like it's nothing it's just it's just a piece of metal what can it do for me you know, yeah, get him some more money and another job, but it really can't bring him in a piece. And it was just such a great answer. Right. Uh, and then there's um, uh, Jim Carrey goes up to making a speech at the Emmys and he says, I am a two-time award-winning and Emmy award-winning. And I just look, go to bed every night wanting to become a three-time award-winning. 
and he mocks the moreness of the yes. industry, wanting more, the more, the more, and achievement, achievement, achievement. It's it, it, it literally is soul destroying because it's ego building, you know. Mm. So it's a hard one because society's conditioning and programming constantly in the media that this is where your happiness is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That this is what accomplishment means, that this is what, and it doesn't, it's a false idol. There is more, I've worked and been around rich and famous people in my life and the majority of them are stressed, miserable, terrified, mm -hmm. um, on pills, seeing shrinks, Mm -hmm. on drugs, drinking, and, you know, I've been to really, been to nations where, Buddhist nations, Hindu nations, the poorest people in the world, just joy, utter joy to have food, to have a roof over their heads, and they're spiritually content within themselves, mm -hmm. and they have a greater understanding of, uh, you know, of, of, true joy and happiness and it's been wonderful to to have been given everything and more and then to have to go fuck i'm miserable i'm drinking i'm unhappy and nothing's really helping me here hold on a minute i came i came to hollywood i made a career of myself i got lots of money and i got lots of women and i got all the toys and i had a harley and the guns and and i'm still fucking frustrated and angry and and you know and I, you know, and, and then I had like a, because of the thing with my mother, I had a devastating breakup with someone that I got really ego reaction. And I just found Eckhart Tolle's book and I suddenly went, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. I've been looking outside of me where I'm never going to find it. That's interesting that that book dropped into your life at the moment that you uh, needed it most. Well, yeah. I don't know how it came to me, but it was a unbelievable awakening of, of the, the depth of the, 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 the matrix of the self. And that takes, you know, still it takes a lifetime to undo the, I call it the perfect practice of the malpractice of me. From day one, I had no understanding and no knowing of who, who I truly was. Everybody around me was telling me who and how I was. And the screen was telling me who and how I was. And society was telling me, okay, and all that caused was friction and upset and disturb and stress and anxiety and worry. And that's normal. This is how normal is. And then I suddenly find after all these years, hold on, that's not normal at all. It's actually insane. <laughs> and and, and, and now, now the journey that we're on is insane. You're so calm. You're so peaceful. You're crazy. But that's the fool on the hill, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. I'd rather be a fool on the hill. Amen to that. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think I think that landing with the fool on the hill. I think I think this is a good place to. Uh... You think therefore you're not. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Sorry, I'm just going to end this. Someone the other day yeah. wrote to me, texted me, and said, "You think therefore you are." I said, "Actually, that man got it slightly wrong." Mm -hmm. He said, "Explain to me." I said, "Can you hear yourself think?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "So who's hearing you think?" I said, it's as simple as that. How can you hear yourself think? Who's hearing you if you're thinking? And then we went into it and I said, there you go. So you're not, you're not who you think. 
and, and I left him with that. And his brain turned out uh, upside down and melted and... and well, that's the start of someone's journey. That simple, that simple questioning of the self is a simple opening up of everything. You know? mm -hmm. It is. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been wonderful to see you again. And that was my fabulous friend, David Diane Fisher. It's been so great to catch up with so many long-lost friends over these last several months, because as we are airing this episode and the previous ones, we have been on lockdown for months and months. So it's really wonderful to be able to connect with people and also to be able to share them with you. I also wanted to add today a special bonus feature, which is a musical track from my beloved Brad Watson. He's a stellar musician, a killer keyboardist, and this is his version of Duke Ellington's classic, Don't Get Around Much Anymore. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side.